0: You may be seated. This morning, our scripture reading is from Acts 10, and we're going to read verses 44 through 48. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. That's God's word to us this morning. And now... Randy will come and do our time with Young Disciples, so I invite all children present with us to come forward to the carpet up here to hear what Randy has to say.
1: Thank you, Shirley. Well, good morning, Young Disciples. We have a special visitor today, and you already heard him play those, those are called bagpipes, and they are from Scotland. Let me show you, so when we had two boys, there was a pastor in, near Aberdeen, Scotland, who wrote to me and said, would you like to do a pulpit exchange? Pulpit exchange is when a pastor in this country changes places with a pastor in another country. And so for four Sundays, four weeks, we lived in Scotland. And you can see, we had to get on an airplane and fly all the way there. Now, our younger son, Tim, was he only liked two foods, pizza and sweet potato pie. (laughs) And in Scotland, they made him eat haggis. Do you know what haggis is? It's made from sheep's guts. Ew. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's very ewey. Yeah. He only took one bite. Now, that's kind of what happened to the Apostle Peter in the chapter 10 and 11 of the book of Acts, which we're going to be talking with the adults about. He had to eat this strange food that the Gentiles eat, and he had only ever eaten kosher food, which Jewish people eat. So it's really hard. Anyway, let me show you the church where every Sunday I got to go in this big pulpit and stand way up high and preach to the people. And guess what's great about Scotland? They understood me. (laughs) They speak English there. Now, they speak it a little bit different. When we got there, there were all these children in the playground of the church, and we drove up in our car, and they said... Is that an American car? And I first had to listen. They said it even more Scottish than that. And then I finally understood. And I said, no, it's a, it's a Saab. And technically, it was an American car because General Motors had just bought Saab. But that's, that's not important. It was a Swedish car. So we had so much fun trying new foods and learning about a new culture and it was a wonderful, wonderful time that we had. And one of the things we got to do in Scotland was meet people like Geoffrey here who played this wonderful instrument called a bagpipe, which you heard when he came in with all of the pastors. And look what we were wearing. Do you know why we're wearing this? Because it's Reformation Sunday, and they wear robes in Scotland just like this, all the pastors every Sunday, to this day. It's part of their, important part of their culture. Well, I am so glad that you're going to get to go now and be with your teachers, but let me just say this blessing over you. May the Lord give you all curious minds to learn, soft hearts to grow, and ready feet to be like Jesus wherever you go, with God's help and grace. May you know how loved you are by God and by your church family. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Have fun. Learn a lot. Thank you, Jeffrey. Well, today, as, as you have already figured out, we are continuing our study of the book of Acts. And today we come to chapters 10 and 11 of this cr- critical work by the Apostle Luke. And when we began this series last month, I told you that Acts would tell the story of how the Christian movement spread like wildfire from Jerusalem where Jesus had died and rose again, to Samaria, to Syria, to Ethiopia, to Greece and Rome and beyond. We haven't got to Greece and Rome yet, but we're getting there. But today, and here's the outline that I showed you, how Jesus went into Galilee and then Samaria and Judea and then to Jerusalem, and then after his resurrection and ascension, the church started in Jerusalem and then spread to Judea, to Samaria, and then throughout the Gentile world. Today, we're going to look at the event that made possible the gospel message being translated into a language and culture that would make sense to people who were not Jewish. And it was not an easy process. And we'll learn more about that today. So let's read the text. The break, well, I, first, let's say the breakthrough of the gospel to the Gentiles started sporadically. But when Peter had his encounter with the Gentile Cornelius, it was unstoppable. So now let's read this text and then we'll pray. There we go. There's the angel appearing to Cornelius. Cornelius. And hear God's word. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying. And in a trance, I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth with wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter. Kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord, nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was pulled up to heaven again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that sp- the same Spirit that spoke to Peter in such dramatic fashion would speak to us now as we hear your word read and proclaimed. Lord, be our teacher. Guide us into your truth, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If I had time, I'd read all of chapter 10 and 11, But you just heard Peter's accounting of his experience in those chapters. So I encourage you to read them again on your own. I. Howard Marshall in his commentary on Acts summarizes what happened. Two dreams led up to the decisive encounter. First, a Roman centurion who was a worshiper of God received a divine intimation that he must summon Peter to visit him. And second, Peter was prepared to receive this invitation by a dream in which he was shown that he was no longer to distinguish between the ritually clean and the unclean foods, and therefore he could eat with Cornelius and his family and friends and respond to their invitation to speak to them by preaching the gospel. Even while he spoke, the Holy Spirit fell upon the Gentiles in a manner that reminded Peter of Pentecost. Do you see what happened? The gospel spread to the Gentile people of Caesarea and built a bridge over the centuries-old alienation between these now Christian Jews and these non-Christian Gentiles. Peter and Cornelius' encounter is the turning point in the early church's understanding that the gospel breaks through every barrier that human beings put up. But let's go back to Genesis 12, to the call of Abram. Abram was told that through your descendants, all the families of the earth Will be blessed. The Jewish people were disobedient. They should have been telling people all over the world this incredible news that there is a God in Israel who loves them. You, re- you remember when I preached from the prophet, which one? Jonah. And he didn't get it. And God had to make him go into the belly of a great sea creature before he was convinced to go to Nineveh and to preach to those unclean, hated enemies, the Assyrians. But finally, in the history of God's salvation efforts, This barrier between Jew and Gentile is broken down decisively as Peter and Cornelius both have dreams where the Holy Spirit speaks to them. Let's keep going in chapter 11 and see how this barrier-busting gospel moves all the way up the coast of Palestine to the important city of Syrian Antioch. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. This is after Peter's encounter, so let's see what happens. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, or Gentiles, also, telling them the good news About the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. So Syrian Antioch is the place, the city, where the first truly multi-ethnic church is formed. And it is that local church that became the center of the world Christian movement. It is that church that sent Barnabas and Paul as the first missionaries, and they eventually ended up in Rome. But the sentence I want to focus on is verse 23. When Barnabas came from Jerusalem, he saw the grace of God and was glad. My question then is, how did the grace of God become visible in Antioch? It says Barnabas saw it and was glad. God's grace was obviously powerful and brought great joy to Barnabas. But how? The grace of God became visible when it broke down what Paul later called, in the letter to the Ephesians, the dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Greeks. Now, all of us who have experienced or learned about the intensity of racial and cultural division in American history, or when you think about apartheid South Africa, or look at the terrible division between Shias and Sunnis in the Middle East, or Hutsis and Tutsis in Eastern Africa. Anyone who has seen the evils of ethnic cleansing in our modern world can understand what a miracle it is when God's grace creates a multi-ethnic, multicultural church in Syrian Antioch. This does not happen in human strength alone. People's hearts have to be transformed. For centuries, the Jews and Gentiles hated each other out of a mixture of religious zeal, cultural pride, and simple racism. So when the grace of God working through Peter and Cornelius broke through the barriers of race and religion and culture, it was nothing short of a miracle. And Barnabas saw it, and he rejoiced. Barnabas was one of those Jewish Christians who had preached to no one except Jews. But now he saw that God's grace had broken through. Peter had seen it. Now Barnabas sees it. And later, in a couple of weeks, we'll look at Acts 15 where the entire church gathers in the Jerusalem Council and they work out what this all means. But here, let's just stop and think about what a miracle this, this is. But it's the biblical pattern. Whenever the gospel is preached, whenever people repent of their sins, racial, cultural, and religious barriers come down. The dividing wall of hostility comes down. Now, we can ask many questions about these issues. We can hold widely different positions on them politically and in terms of public policy and what kinds of laws should be implemented in our society. That's fine to have that kind of political diversity, but we must find unity around the central question before this church and before every follower of Jesus Christ. And here it is. Can we look with compassion on those who are different and see them as God sees them, as people in need of the grace, mercy, compassion, and deliverance of God? Jesus said in Matthew 25, I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. This word stranger in the Greek is the word xenos. It literally means foreigner. It's the same word that Paul uses in Ephesians 2, verse 12. We're called, friends, to be Philozenic, to be friends of stranger. That word philozenia, friend of strangers, is translated into English as hospitality. We're to be hospitable, welcoming people into our home, as Cornelius welcomed Peter and as Peter would later welcome Gentiles into his home. Here's Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you Gentiles, that's us, most of us. I'm sure there are a few who were Jewish by birth. We were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection is the culmination of God's eternal plan to break down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. It was the constant teaching in the Old Testament for Israel to welcome foreigners and sojourners from other nations so that they would receive God's blessing through his chosen people. But it hardly ever happened in the Old Testament. And even here in the book of Acts, it was only when persecution arose and the church was scattered around the Mediterranean basin that the barriers began to break. And Barnabas got to be there on the front lines of seeing the grace of God. And it made him glad. It should make us glad when we see these barriers of hostility, of culturally imperial, cultural imperialism, of racism broken down. Barnabas went back to the church in Jerusalem. He reported that the gospel had been preached in Syrian Antioch and that many people had given their lives to Jesus. So the good news of Jesus came to Antioch because of persecution, because the church had to suffer. Barnabas saw it, called it the grace of God, and it made him glad. If there's anything clear in the Bible, It is this the grace of God does not spare his people suffering in this age but just as in the book of Acts suffering happened to Stephen and to many others who were martyred for their faith God works through suffering to bring people to himself we shouldn't be surprised because the Son of God had to suffer to save people from condemnation and death and ever since the first century, God turns suffering again and again for our good, both in this age and in the age to come. God shows his grace all through the history of the church, just as he did in the book of Acts. My ancestors, the Bear family, fled terrible persecution. There were bears that were martyred in Switzerland because they were Swiss Mennonites. They lived near Zurich. Carrie and I were able to visit the family home, which is still standing to this day, but it's a horrible story because they had to flee with nothing but a few clothes and a few possessions. They were persecuted by fellow Christians, Catholics, and other Protestants. They finally made their way to the Netherlands where they had a measure of religious freedom, but then they joined the great stream of people coming to this country, To Pennsylvania in the 1700s, they told those stories to their grandchildren and they came down even to my generation through my grandfather. My own family has a legacy of seeing the grace of God in the United States. It's the story of all of human history. Here's a 20th century example. In the 1930s, thousands of Koreans fled what is now North Korea when the japanese invaded many of them settled in the soviet union around vladivostok many of those korean christians K- koreans were christians through their suffering the gospel was carried into the central part of the soviet union but that's just the beginning of that story stalin saw those koreans in vladivostok as a security risk so he spread them around. He relocated them in a terrible purge to five areas around the Soviet Union, including Muslim areas in what are now collectively called the stands. One of the places the Koreans were sent was Tashkent, the center of 20 million Muslim Uzbek people who had violently resisted Western missionary efforts to bring the gospel to their nation. But God was not stopped. Over the next decades these Korean Christians became an accepted part of Uzbek society. And then with the fall of the Soviet Union they decided to preach the gospel in the open air for the first time they were allowed to do this. On June 2nd 1990 and God used that meeting, that revival, to awaken Korean Christians especially. And the gospel began to spread among Muslim, Uzbeks, and Kazakhs. The grace of God was at work in all of this. God hasn't changed. It's the same grace of God that makes all things work together for good. The same God who shows grace to suffering people so the good news can travel from Jerusalem Jews to Antioch Gentiles. And this grace of God works in the lives of individuals as well. Suffering and persecution can become the stepping stone to God. Two weeks ago, the World Mission Committee of our church, which, by the way, is the most exciting committee in the church, and talk to me if you want to join the fun, we had dinner with uh, the Reverend Dr. Merdad Fatiha. I can't pronounce That's terrible pronunciation. But anyway, Mur- we call him Merdad. He's the founder and executive director of PARS. PARS is a seminary based in London that is currently training hundreds of house church leaders among the Persian diaspora and in Iran. We learned that The movement for freedom that's going on right now on our nightly news is led by many of these Christian women who know that suffering will come, but they're standing up because they've been freed by the gospel message. He told us that there are now over 1.3 million Persian Christians in the world. Today on every continent, our brothers and sisters are courageously witnessing to the truth of Jesus and the resurrection in places like Nigeria, where Christians are horribly persecuted and martyred every month, in Ethiopia, in China, and many other nations. Christians have always suffered for the gospel in every age. Let me end with a story that maybe you know. It's about the famous poet John Donne. He was an Anglican priest and the dean of St. Paul's Cathedral in the early 17th century. And near the end of his life, he lay in bed in London... His body was racked with pain from what may have been malarial fever brought back from his service overseas many years earlier. He was confined to his bed of pain for weeks on end. He had written a little book, Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions, but had fallen into obscurity not long afterward. And he continued to write on his sick bed, which eventually became his deathbed. Periodically, he would hear the ringing of the church bells, chiming the sad news that another soul had passed from this life to the next. And then the poet's pen moved again. It gifted all of us with these immortal words. Perchance he for whom this bell tolls may be so ill, as that he knows not it tolls for him. And perchance I may think myself so much better than I am as that they who are about me and see my state may have caused it to toll for me. And I know not that. No man is an island entire of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod be washed by the sea, Europe is the less as well as if a promontory were, as well as if a manner of thy friends or of thine own were, any man's death diminishes me, because I am involved in mankind, and therefore never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. It was not Ernest Hemingway that came up with the title for his book, For Whom the Bell Tolls. It was this Anglican preacher nailed to his bed of pain and suffering. And when Carrie and I were in London many years ago, we toured St. Paul's Cathedral. And one of the monuments is this marble statue of John Donne. The church employed a sculptor to design a monument for their dean. And Dunn posed for him in the posture of death as a living cadaver, hands folded, eyes closed, and a winding sheet wrapped around him. And after his death, it was mounted standing over his funeral urn. His face, though, has a serene expression that contrasts with the suffering he endured in life. John Dunn knew the grace of God, it made him glad. He knew the resurrection of Jesus Christ was only the first fruits and that it was good news about his resurrection. Brothers and sisters, God takes what may seem to us the worst of circumstances and turns them into an opportunity for transformation. He did it for the persecuted Christians in Acts. He did it for the Korean refugees in the USSR He's doing it right now for Christian brothers and sisters all around the world. He did it for John Donne, and he is doing it today. And he can do it for you. As followers of Christ, we should never expect that everything will be easy. We are promised we will suffer. But we are also promised that that suffering will bring us closer to our Savior, the suffering servant. God always enables our suffering to have meaning. And it brings hope. Everything we experience, we can bear. Everything will make us wiser and more loving. It can draw us nearer to God. 150 years ago, a Scottish Presbyterian pastor lost his wife suddenly. And after her death, he preached an unusually personal sermon. He admitted in the the message he did not understand how he could have lost his wife. He didn't understand suffering or death. But still less, he said, he couldn't understand how people facing loss could abandon their faith. Abandon it for what? You people in the sunshine may believe the faith, but we in the shadow must believe it. We have nothing else. Psalm 23 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This Sunday each year, we remember those in our Grace Commons family who have walked through the shadow of death who have trusted in the promises of the gospel, who have put their faith in the shadow of their lives, in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ. Friends, they are now in the loving presence of their eternal Savior, Jesus Christ. In a moment, Pastor Carl and Pastor Rich will read each of their names as the chime is sounded and we will remember our brothers and sisters. So death is not the last word. The gospel is the last word. It proclaims Christ's victory over death. Peter saw this gospel enter the life of the Gentile Cornelius, and he was so glad. Barnabas saw it and was glad. Trust in the grace of God, friends. Don't trust in yourself. Trust in the grace of God. Trust in God to work through you to spread this good news to Boulder and beyond. Don't let anything prevent you from believing in the greatest gift in the world, living in the joy and power of the resurrection. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for this truth for this gospel message. And Lord, in the hearing of my voice, there are people who may not have put their hands in your hand, may not have trusted in your promise. Lord, welcome them in, give them faith, increase that mustard seed of faith in their lives. And for those of us, Lord, who have trusted you and walked with you for decades, Increase our faith, too, and give us joy as we see this gospel changing lives among every ethnos, every people group, in every part of our world. For we ask this and pray in Jesus' name, amen.